Now, toward the end of last year, we before we did the Christmas series, we actually did a, a study in 1 Peter, a study that I was really enjoying because of the various things that we were examining through 1 Peter. It was a study that looked at the blessing of suffering. That was the last message we did before we started our Christmas series. And as, as that suffering could be an avenue through which God can help us to reassess our priorities in life. And you have a look at like 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11, 4, that we examined the importance of revering Christ regardless of the circumstances that we were facing, reverencing Christ in our hearts, reverencing Christ with a godly attitude and in our conduct as well. And then we looked at some biblical mandates as being a disciple of Jesus, that as husbands, how we are to lead as Christ set his example. As wives, how we are to submit as demonstrated in Jesus' submission to his Father, and that ultimately our submission to God's word and our obedience to him being the ultimate priority in that submission. And I heard a preacher say recently, regards submission, um, the level of your submission is an accurate description of your submission to God, your submission to Christ within your own lives. Especially as we seek to live as a people belonging to God, that chosen generation, that, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, how we are to show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. These were the, the last four messages we had before our Christmas series. But these messages were preceded by the beauty of Jesus Christ, his precious person, how he was chosen of God and elect, how that we get to taste and see of the Lord's goodness that is expressed in the person of Jesus, and that in the person of Jesus, we now have a Father we can cry out to, as we looked at 1 Peter 1.17, since we call on a Father. Now, when I read this letter, and as I was reviewing those past messages, I can understand why Peter writes what he does for these churches. If you remember the context of the churches that they were going through at the time, they were spread out through five different provinces. The church wasn't in one located place like we are now. They were, they were being persecuted. They were being hunted. They were having rights taken away from them for the sole reason of being a follower of Jesus. There was a society that said to them that you better conform to our standard of society or our, standard, our standards and of our values or else you will suffer for it. A society that said, keep your faith private. Don't bring it out into the real world. You keep it to yourself and do what you do. Don't you go around talking about this Jesus character as being God or as being the Messiah or the Savior of mankind, because if you did, there was prison, there was consequences. In some cases, there was even death. So Peter writes this letter, those messages that we looked at. Peter writes all these things to help the believers of that day look past the here and now 
to see beyond this life because there is so much more that God wants to reveal to him, or to you, to them, should I say. And he wants these people to interpret their current stage in life, their current circumstances, their current trials, their current struggles, wants to interpret them through the lens of Jesus Christ, through the lens of God's sovereignty, through the lens of God's control in each of those situations. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Because we, in like manner, if Jesus Christ is the same as Chris shared yesterday, today, and forever, and those same types of pressures, although not to the same extent of what the church was going through in Peter's day, you see a lot of applicable realities placed for us as well. To look beyond the various situations that we encounter to interpret the various struggles or the various trials or the various hardships through the lens of Jesus Christ, especially when you look at this thing that Peter writes about here called suffering. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And though I'm going to read verses 12 to 19, I'm not putting it up there. If you have a Bible available on a phone, or if you're like an old man like me, you like to use pages, please bring up 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19, and I will be reading from the NIV. It says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the un ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. There is so much in this passage, and the theme that I want to look at today is what I basically call according to God's will. And the focus of this passage is actually taken from verse 19. So if you just want to bow your heads, we'll pray, and we'll seek God as we look at the coming year and what his will for us is in the coming months. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that in him we have life, in him we have light, and in him we have security. I pray now that as we look at your word, you will speak to us, 
as we look to the coming year, you will prepare us, Father, that you will equip us to encounter all the things we experience through the perspective of your Son, Jesus Christ. So please teach us now. Please help me as I share your word to share it clearly and slowly so that the truths would sink into our hearts and your spirit will use it to transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, suffering. Suffering. Wow, we had on Christmas Day my wife's niece and her kids come up for Christmas Day. It was a lovely time. And then we usually, as you know, we look after those kids on a regular basis. And so we looked after those kids and it was really fun. Um, a lot of swimming in the pool, a lot of just actually three days they were with us, they spent all the time in the water. So they got really dark. They got like as dark as I, I, as I was. So it was, really, it was really quite neat. But what happened afterwards was that one of the kids must have been sick because my family got struck down by a, like a, like a stomach bug. And they were suffering. Like, they were suffering. My, my daughter Emily, she's like, I'm not feeling too well. I went, okay, everything's all right. Then she says, Dad, I, I think I need a bucket. And so I grabbed a bucket, and then bam! I was like, you ate so much. That's amazing. <laughs> and then I cleaned it up, and then, then it was like, Dad, I, I need the bucket again. So I'm just going to leave the bucket here. Bam! He says, you still have so much left over. I was like, oh, it, was it was amazing. But it went through, went through my daughter Emily, went through Isaiah. Isaiah was just, he was knocked out. And then Faith caught it. And then my wife caught it and everybody. And I was fine. I'm just, I'm just looking after everybody. And, and Jirel, Jirel is fine, but he's never home because he's a teenage boy. And you don't want to be cool and hang out at home. And so I'm just running around. And that, I have never seen such suffering at one place at one time. It was quite amazing, actually. And so I'm doing all the washing. I'm doing all the cleaning. I'm cleaning up floors. I'm mopping floors, vacuuming. Like, wow, it was, yeah, that was a lot, of, a lot of suffering. And when you look at what suffering is, it's, it's connected. It's, it's always, it is always connected to something or connected to someone. You have people that can cause you suffering. There are different levels so you have families that suffer due to illness, which is what I went through. You have people who suffer due to loss of a loved one. You have others suffer because of particular disadvantages, whatever it might be. Um, it might be a suffering because of a lack of diligence, and you're suffering the consequences of such lack of diligence. And so I read when I see this connection of suffering to something else in verse 19, this. It says, so then those who suffer according to God's will, this is where it's different. Those who suffer, not because of somebody being sick or catching a bug from a nephew or a niece, not because you're sick or suffering because of a lack of diligence or because of one's laziness. He says, if you're suffering according to God's will, they should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. What I love about this verse is that I think it's ideal for us and this coming year. I think it is absolutely because why then, why then in this verse does suffering occur? When you look, Peter explains that there is suffering that comes about from your own choices, and then there is suffering that comes across or yet comes about because you are faithfully walking with God. 
People have this idea that because you're a Christian, you never experience hardship. People have this idea that think you have an easy life when you follow Jesus Christ and trust him. People think you've got it sweet and won't have any problems at all. But we're told here, and we did at the end of last year, that suffering is, comes across. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, suffering encounters every believer. And why does such suffering occur? Here you go. Firstly, because in Christ, we are no longer of this world. Jesus said this, said in John 17, 16, they are not of the world. John 17 is Jesus' prayer for believers, for us. And he says, they, meaning you, are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You want to know why you suffer as a Christian? It's because you don't belong to this world anymore. My friend and mentor, Eamon, I remember years ago, I'd been a Christian for about six months, and we went out street witnessing. And we were street witnessing, and we got harassed pretty severely because we were singing songs. And it was, it was really neat because they had what's called gospel bullets, so they would sing like Amazing Grace. Then someone would just step out and then pop out a Bible verse and then step back in. Then Carrie would sing another verse, and someone else would step out, pop a Bible verse. And then it was just open. Someone would come out and then just share a word, you know, whatever God lays upon someone, someone's heart. And I remember people yelling at us, people telling us to shut up, people to move, move us on. Had a lot of alcoholic people come out there and join us and sing, and that was fun. But it was really interesting because I remember Eamon said afterwards, he goes, he goes what's interesting is this. Because, and I've shared this in the past, because you no longer belong to this world, the enemy will seek to shut you up in whatever way he can. Because you no longer belong to this world, he will try to make you as ineffective as possible for the kingdom of God. So he'll sit down and get people to tell, you know, get people to sit down and, and, and spread rumors about you. He'll get there and, and sit there and whisper in your ears, don't say that, you'll be looked like, as a, looked like a fool. Don't raise your kids this way because that's not the way things are done now. Don't say this, don't speak up or, or take a stand on a particular biblical value. So that's why, because we are no longer of this world, because in Christ we are a citizen of heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household. We belong to God's family now to belong to his household. That's another reason why suffering occurs. Then you have another reason as well in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, because in Christ we've moved kingdoms. We read he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. We've been taken out of one kingdom and placed into another. It's Look, I, I'm, I'm from New Zealand, yes. I've gone from the kingdom of the long white cloud to the kingdom of Foster's beer. Okay, I, I don't know. Of koalas and, 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 and echidnas, I don't know. I've come to this, I've come to the kingdom of Australia because Australia needs the gospel. And what's more is that, that because our kingdoms have changed... We're no longer of that old land. I believe I shared, the very first sermon I shared here was uh, from Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, and I used the example of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, 
talking about how we have a new vocation, a new calling. We bear a different name. And that's what's happened. I, I'm no longer living according to the laws of New Zealand because I don't belong there anymore. I'm an Australian citizen. I abide by the Australian laws because that's where I am. So too when you have changed kingdoms. I no longer abide by the laws of this world, but governed by the laws that govern the kingdom of God. That's where I am now. And that's why people won't like you. And what's more is that in Christ, you've been born again of his spirit. That in Christ, you've had your heart of stone removed and replaced with a heart of flesh. Even in Christ, been given a new spirit. You've been made a new creation in Christ. You've been made children of light in Christ because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And you've been given the right in Christ to be called the sons and daughters of God. Is it any wonder then that as people living in Christ, according to God's will, that we are going to experience hardship, that we are going to experience difficulty, that after experiencing forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ, that we should also share in those sufferings that he went through for us. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. That is why the world hates you. Now, I'm not trying to form this whole us versus them mentality. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not telling you to go out there and you see a non-Christian and they sit there and say, oh, he hates me. I'm not, I'm not trying to, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. What I'm doing is don't be surprised that if you choose to live according to God's standards and God's values and submission to God's word, empowered by God's spirit, you are going to encounter opposition. What does Paul say to Timothy? Yea, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So then what are we going to do with this reality? Well, Peter gives us two things. This is the first thing he says that we are to commit ourselves to our faithful creator. To commit. What does that mean to commit to something or to someone? It means this. It means that you're all in. It means you're all in. It means a complete entrusting yourself to something or to someone. Like I could ask my brother Jono up here right now, and I could entrust to him my safety by doing a trust fall. That I could sit down and Jono's denying it, but I could ask Jono right now, Jono, come here, brother. And I, you don't have to, bro. Do you want to? Oh, okay. I should? Your arm's sore. Okay, all the more reason. But I, I could, I could, I won't, I won't. But I could ask Jono to come up here and I could say, Jono, I would like you to catch me. And I'll stand here and I'll lean back and, I'll fall, and he'll catch me. I have no doubt whatsoever that he'll catch me. I'll trust him to do that. I did it one camp, and I felt, the, I think I shared it with you. Yeah, I did. I, the guy, I felt his hands on my back, and I felt myself getting lower and lower and lower, and then I ended up lying on top of him. And I, he was like, you're too heavy, Joe. I wasn't that heavy. 
But I, if anything, it, 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 it tr- I trusted his name was Daniel Chu. His name was Daniel Chu. But if anything, I trusted him more because he sacrificed his body to stop me from hitting the ground. But he, yeah, I, but that's what it means. It means it means you're all in for something or for someone else. I think of a few people off off the get go. I think of Andrew Finn, Andrew Finn, who fully committed after much prayer and of much seeking God's God's wisdom and seeking advice from other people. He wholeheartedly committed, went to another country for his work, and he fully committed to that. I think of Jimmy. When Jimmy, about the startup, I remember when he first got involved with the startup, and Jimmy just, after much prayer and seeking wisdom and support from family and friends, he stepped up and did it. He went all in. He went all in. I think of Chris with the various positions that she's had, and, and Mel and, and Kerry, who, who I made the mistake of saying she's a teacher and she's not anymore. I think of all these people who have just went all in, people who have just went all in when they said, will you marry me? And they said Yes. You just go all in. That's what it means to commit to someone and to something. But unlike all the people I've mentioned, unlike Jimmy and Andrew, who, even though they had some uncertainties in what they were committing to, they were given an assurity. They were given an assurity in their own abilities to navigate it, I guess. But unlike these guys, unlike the people I've mentioned, we are told to commit ourselves to the creator of the universe, the one who has all things in the palm of his hand, the one who sees the beginning. Have you ever wondered why he's called that? The Lord Jesus called that, sees the beginning from the end. He is the beginning and he's the end. He is the first and he is the last. He is the alpha and he is the omega. He is the author and he is the finisher. We are told we are to commit ourselves to him. For if I commit myself to him, the responsibility of my success, for want of a better word, becomes his responsibility. It's like, um, did anybody meet Declan last week? Declan was Uncle Mike's friend from London. Now, when he came, his luggage didn't arrive with him. So his whole family showed up on a Sunday, and then they had to go to Kmart because their luggage didn't arrive. They committed their luggage to the airline, hoping that the airline would get their luggage to them, which they did. If they said, no, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it, and they lose their luggage, then it doesn't matter. But because they committed to the they committed their luggage to the airline. It was the airline's responsibility to take care of it and to get it to where it needs to be. We are told to commit ourselves to God because I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. When I commit myself to God and to his goodness and to his faithfulness, regardless of the circumstances I face, the responsibility is his. And like matter, committing ourselves to him who is our faithful creator, we have him directly involve himself in each of our lives to navigate the storms of life. Jeremiah 42 verse 3, pray that the Lord your God would tell us where we should go and what we should do. To overcome the obstacles we face, Psalm, chapter, Psalm 5, verse 8, 
Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me and to triumph over the world, the flesh, and the devil. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We committed our eternal destiny into God's hands when we trusted in Jesus. We wholeheartedly cried out to him for the forgiveness of our sin. We asked him, we asked him to liberate us from the condemnation of sin's judgment and received grace in Jesus Christ when we said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then we experience this wonderful blessing of being made new, of having that crying out responded to by God's love and goodness. And that's why when you read earlier on the passage, we are told this, that as we follow him according to his will, that we are to not be surprised, to not be surprised at that fiery ordeal, but rejoice. Don't be surprised. If you live according to God's will, don't be surprised you're going to have a fiery trial, but rejoice. We are told that we participate in the sufferings of Christ, that we be overjoyed because that's when his glory is revealed in us. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, I think, that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's why we, we can rejoice. That if we are insulted because of the name of Christ, we are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory rests upon us. What, 2 Corinthians 9, what does that say? That when we are weak, then we are strong. Why? Because the power of Christ rests upon us. That if we suffer, it shouldn't be as a meddler, which basically means we shouldn't be doing what is wrong. But if we suffer as a Christian, we shouldn't be ashamed, but praise God that we bear his name. In Matthew 12, 5, 11, and 12, it says, sorry, it says, blessed when people revile and persecute you for my name's sake. It says, rejoice, for great is your reward in heaven. You see, we have this terrible tendency as believers to view our trials and our struggles and our difficulties in life as punishment for our sins. There's a difference. We look at suffering as one of those punishments, but you have to understand something. All punishment for sin was dealt with at the cross. All punishment for sin was taken care of by Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. The, God's judgments, God's wrath, God's anger was all bestowed or, or placed upon Jesus. Sin, past, present, and future, taken care of by the blood of Christ. Now, while you sit there and say, well, Joe, what about this, this, or this when these bad things happen? There's a difference between punishment for sin and consequences for stupid choices. Okay? If I'm going to go and do some, for example, the, the, the police that showed up at, at Simon's party, okay? No, not Simon's party. No, it wasn't Simon's party. It was at someone else's house and Simon was there. But let's say, and this wasn't the situation that Simon was doing, okay? But let's say Simon was doing something illegal at this place and the police were called. That's called a stupid choice and the consequence for that choice. That's what that is, Okay? 
So there are results for making dumb choices. So it falls on us to be aware of, to be aware, aware of, of that in our own lives. The issues we experience today is more us making bad choices and suffering the consequences for those choices instead of living obediently and submissively to God's will. That's why we read in this, verses 17 and 18, it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? Which basically means this. When I was reading this, it basically means this. We are held to a higher standard. There is a greater responsibility placed on us because of the truths that we have in the Word of God. We are held accountable to such things. And, and, to, and to take that for granted is foolish on my part. So if I am held accountable for such high standards, then imagine those who don't know Jesus and the standards that they'll be held to. Imagine the standards that I need to be able to share with when I speak about the love of God, when I speak about the grace and goodness of Jesus Christ, then how do I display that to people who don't know Jesus, who don't know who he is? That's the huge, I mean, it's an amazing thing that judgment begins with us first. That's a huge thing to, to deal with. So it falls on us as the house of God to see our lives, both the good and the bad, through the lens of Christ. To not only commit ourselves to him, but also to continue to do good. That's the second thing Paul, um, Peter says. To continue to good, I won't spend too much time here. The good referred to here is what's called virtuous well-doing. It is the natural outworking of the inward transformation that happened when one was born again of God's Spirit. The well-doing of bringing forth the fruit of love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The good of loving one another as Christ loved us of being kind to one another, of being devoted to one another, of living harmoniously with one another, of accepting one another, and of so many more. The good of knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death, Philippians 3.10. The well-doing of proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed as it shows how much God loves a world that, has no, that wants nothing to do with him. In Titus 2.11. The, the good of being able to pray for one another. The, the good of being able to come along somebody else and share with them and say, I'm here with you. The good of fellowshipping Sunday after Sunday. The good of just being around the Word of God together. The good of sharing a meal. The good of being together as the people of God. That we continue to do Good. You see, this is the beautiful truth that confronts us for 2023. Wow, 2023. That with the uncertainties that confront us, 
with the trials that we may come across, the sufferings that we will experience, we can do this. This is the first thing we can do. We can commit ourselves to our faithful creator. You know why Jirel could call me at 1230 at night and ask me to pick him up when he misses his bus? Because I'm his dad and I love him. And while I may not have liked it, I'll do it. I was doing something yesterday, so Faith was on call yesterday at the hospital, and she got a call. And so I said, look, okay, she just doesn't drive, and uh, the weekend timetable is the buses come every hour. So I said, I'll drive you in. So I drove her in, and then I'm driving back, and I had to go to Officeworks to pick up something for my wife. And so, okay, so I, I, then on the way there, my son Nathaniel calls me, Dad, can you please pick me up from a friend's house and take me to the thing? So I said, I've got to go to Officeworks first. Then I'll come pick you up. So I go to office works. I go pick him up. I drive him to where he needs to go, and then I'm on my way home. Then my wife calls me. Have you been to office works? Yes. Can you please go back to office works? Sure. I go back to office works. I get something else. Then Faith calls. Faith is at Rouse Hill. I'm at Rouse Hill. I had to get something for Sunday school. Can you pick me up? Yep. And I go to Rouse Hill, and I pick her up. And then I see my wife. Can you go to Woolies? All right. I go to Woolies. So three hours later... Three hours later, I did all the stuff and ran all the errands that I was asked to run, and I got back home, and I gave everything to my wife. They got everything sorted out and all that sort of stuff. But you know why? And that's why I'm tired, and I get called up, and my son picks me. Can you pick me up at 12.30? Okay, I did it. You know why I did all that? Because I love them. Was it a hassle? At the time, I think it was. But it was a completely selfish hassle. That's all it was. It was completely on me. But I got to do it because I love them and I want to see what's best for them. I would much rather pick up my son at 12.30 than have him try to bus home. I'd much rather get my daughter from where she needs to be and get her to walk home. All that sort of stuff because I love them. How much more does a heavenly father want me to commit every aspect of my life to him? He who loved me so much, he gave me his best in his son, Jesus Christ. To die for me, to rise again, and to say that if you will trust me, I'll give you everything. How much more does he incline his ear to me when I cry out for help? How much more can I experience the greatness of his love every moment of every day? Our creator who is present, our creator who is in charge, our creator who is coming back to take us to be with him. See, I like, I like First, First Thessalonians I like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. And this is the, I want to close with this. He says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And I love this last verse. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That as we commit ourselves to our faithful creator, that as we continue to do good as he has called us to do, that we can encourage each other with the words that, yes, our Lord who loves us is coming back. And that despite what 2023 holds, my faithful creator has got it all in the bag. He knows what's going on. And I am happy with that.
So with that, I want to close in a word of prayer. And then, please, we'll share a time of fellowship as we get around a cup of coffee and spend time with each other. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much that we can commit ourselves to you, regardless of the suffering, regardless of the turmoil, regardless of the difficulties that we may encounter. I thank you that we can commit ourselves to you, our faithful creator, that we can commit ourselves to you and continue to do good. Please help us to see beyond the here and now and to look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. And regardless of what 2023 holds, I thank you that you have got complete control over it. Help us to see you in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much for that, everybody at home. God bless. Have a lovely day, and we'll see you guys next week.